Hello everyone and welcome to episode 176 of Squared Circle Gazette Radio. I am Liam O'Rourke and we are back with part 2A of our series looking at the World Wrestling Federation in 1993 and joining me for part 2A of this series is of course the one and only, the guy who has been with me from the beginning of our look at the 1990s, Mr. Kyle Ross over in Ohio. Kyle, how's things today? Bring back the Monday Night Wars. <laughs> talking about i'm kidding i'm kidding um well no please bring them back but uh, liam please keep me as well uh and yes i love being here i am very excited to uh jump back in to 1993 in titan sports wow is there a lot going on you know it was amazing that it took us what five hours to get through the first three months yeah, of the unreal. year unreal. and We've got WrestleMania fallout to discuss today, a new pay-per-view added to the calendar, King of the Ring. It's now the big five. We'll be touching, well, that's not going to be in 2A, that'll be in 2B, but uh, it is in part two, if you've got your scorecards out there, hopefully I didn't confuse you, (laughs) but uh, so much to discuss today. Can't wait to get into it. A lot of great conversations to be had uh, surrounding what happened at the end of WrestleMania night. Oh, it's a huge story, and we've been kind of teasing this. Oh, we, yeah, you mentioned there, part one, part one A and part one B, we split into two because it went five hours, uh, can be heard if you have not heard that or any of the rest of our uh, shows. Head to Spotify, head to Podbean, head to iTunes, you can catch up on that. But I got a lot of great feedback about those shows, the, uh, the first oh. part of 1993, a lot of real positive feedback. And I think a lot of it, too, is that this is really, you know, from a personal standpoint, this is where I kind of have my own familiarity as a young kid, there's a few stories I get to share today in terms of memories at the time and what I thought at the time about certain things, which is going to be fun. So uh, I'm absolutely thrilled to be continuing the 993 series. We are, over the course of part two, going to be talking, as Kyle touched on there, WrestleMania 9, up to and just slightly beyond King of the Ring and the fallout of King of the Ring, obviously over part 2A and 2B. Kyle, we do have a little bit of housekeeping, though, to get to before we dive in headfirst to WrestleMania 9. Yes, as you and the listeners know, we leave no stone unturned Not to a uncover one. information uh, here in our breakdown of early ninety, early ninety, early nineteen nineties <laughs> WWF, and uh, that includes not only such esteemed publications as the Wrestling Observer Newsletter and the Pro Wrestling Torch, but also, oftentimes, we turn to the pages of the World Wrestling Federation magazine <laughs> and a new uh, column debuted around this time period in the spring of 93 in their magazine entitled Tough Talk. And I wanted to bring this up, Liam, because I thought this was a hoot and you'll get a laugh out of it because in Tough Talk in the WWF magazine, they would bury their own wrestlers. An interesting approach. It is. And who better to bury in the very first edition of Tough Talk? This is in the, oh, what month was this? This is the June 93 edition with Hulk Hogan on the cover holding the world title. And (laughs) the first little uh, section is called No News Virgil. (laughs) Okay, let's read this, shall we? As noted elsewhere in this issue, Virgil has been complaining that he gets little or no coverage in this magazine. We like Virgil. He's a top athlete and a dedicated wrestler, but we cover what's news in the World Wrestling Federation. 
And to be truthful, Virgil, you haven't been making major news of late. Sure, <laughs> you piggybacked on the photo shoot we did with Bob Backlund and his carrot juice. Good we God. didn't mind. Yeah, that is an article in this magazine. <laughs> We'd like to do a feature on you, but there are problems. Get with it, man. You've got what it takes to be on top. Why don't you make an effort to showcase what you've got? Did he charge him? <laughs> Refine it, question mark. Yeah. Maybe work on some new, new moves and changes in ring style. They must have uh, caught that failed roll-up against Razor Ramona. <laughs> yeah. oh. I was going to say, it was this, this probably was written the same month as that, actually. Um, <laughs> perhaps your opponents have figured you out too well. Give us something to write about, Verge, and we'll do it. But put up or shut up. Now, <laughs> incredibly, the following month, they buried him again. <laughs> get a grip, Virgil. This again leads tough talk. Jesus. Last month, we took a pot shot at Virgil because his whining about not appearing very often to the pages of this publication. We told him that if he wants coverage, he'd better rack up some big-time victories in the ring. Well, he didn't like it one bit. He grabbed one of our editors at a recent World Wrestling Federation event and got real mouthy about it. Who died and left you, boss? Virgil griped. Is wrestling your field? No, you're just an editor. You've got your opinion and I've got mine. And yours don't count. Well, we repeated our opinion that Virgil wasn't wrestling a verge, they called him. Wasn't wrestling up to his full potential. Guess what? He started whining a lot. <laughs> I'm not cocky, said Virgil, but why can't you just give a brother a break? <laughs> there he goes complaining again, said the WF Magazine. No breaks, Verge. We'll repeat what we said last issue. Knock some heads, and sure enough, you'll see yourself featured in World Wrestling Federation Magazine. Moreover, we did picture you at Up Close. You should be thankful. Oh, my word. I'm not sure this is. If you're a fan of Virgil and you see this, this isn't doing. This isn't covering him in any glory. I kind of feel like this match might be a shoot. It, but it was. I mean, there there was something. There was a later one too. Um, as I was scanning through to see if there's anything else funny, where they just start burying. Spoiler alert: the returning Marty Jannetty. <laughs> they're like. They're like. They're like, <laughs> like it's later in the summer, and they're basically like, yeah, it's pretty clear to us who the the talent and the rockers was. Oh come on, you can't be saying that with the baby faces. I just crushing them here in the WWE. Jesus, and this is before Vic Venom comes along. Long before Vic Venom, yes. Good God, yeah. So, so I wanted to share tough talk. You know, I I keep saying this. I, I'm going to take a picture and I'll put it on the Facebook page of all the WWF magazines. I think I'll line them up. I am missing one uh, issue in 1993, and hilariously, you had it. Yeah, it was the very first WWF magazine I ever bought, and I I have it here. Yeah, August 93 with a Brett and Shango on the front. Yeah, that's Brett and Shango. Well, he's putting him in a sharpshooter. Shango just got oh, in the oh, body. I Oh, I was like, my God, because like, we've got some news on old Papa Shango coming <laughs> later on. Okay, uh, shall we get going with the task at hand? I believe we should. I believe we should. Big news. We, we, we left off at the end of the last show at WrestleMania 9, so here we go. Yes, and if people want to go back and listen, Liam and I laid out a, a great deal of booking strategies for WrestleMania 9. Things that we think, you know, it's not just things you can say in hindsight, but 
cop, but ideas that were fair at the time, given what they were doing. Yeah. Okay. Spoiler alert, they didn't fucking do any of those. <laughs> Not a one. Nope. And let's start with a section we're calling We Should Have Known. Okay. Well, we may have the hardest of right turns to discuss at WrestleMania 9 here. And if there was ever a time for the WWF to claim on television that someone's dignity was being raped, it certainly should have been when uh, <laughs> Hulk Hogan, uh, what he did to Bret Hart in Caesar's Palace, April 4th, 1993, at WrestleMania 9, where obviously, as we know, Liam, the WWF title would change in unprecedented two times. Uh, Yokozuna defeats Bret Hart, followed by Hogan beating Yoko in impromptu fashion. Now, I don't want to discuss if this turn of events was surprising to you, but rather, should we have seen it or something like it coming? Now, for the mm. record, the way things went down, two title changes on the same show would have been like impossible to predict in 93, right? They had never yeah. done anything like this, this kind of hotshot booking. But shouldn't we all have known that Hogan <laughs> was going to politic to get the belt back eventually? Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I, I think that we should have known. Uh, that he was going to get eventually, but in fairness, I'm going to play this both ways. This is a couple of times over the course of this part where, believe it or not, even though this is one of Hogan's more despicable situations, there is going to be some, not necessarily defense of Hogan, because it's not defense of Hogan, but sharing of the blame, certainly, because we probably should have figured not only would Hogan potted to get the belt back, but we probably should have figured that Vince was always going to see going back to Hogan as a way to steady the ship. Even when it failed the last time they did it, you know? But the old mm -hmm. adage is that in trying times, promoters will replicate what worked before. And that's exactly what happens here. Absolutely. And I want to go before WrestleMania 9, okay? Before that fateful day in Las Vegas, Nevada. And there were certainly some warning signs that old Terry had his eyes on the title, okay? <laughs> Prior to returning... The WWF television in February, Hogan had this to say to the Rockford Register Star. Yes, uh, I believe in the last episode we just referenced the Register Star. This was a paper that had an article about Hogan, e you know, eating cheeseburgers. He was talking uh, to yes. kids. But uh, it's Rockford, Illinois is uh, the home of the Register Star. Okay. What did Hulk Hogan tell this particular newspaper? Quote, I just don't want to go wrestle. I want to win the belt back. I want to be the champion. They've got a guy named Brett the Hitman Hart, who's champion now. I could beat him with my eyes closed. He couldn't even lace my boots up. Dave Meltzer, this is in The Observer, noted at the time, the part about Hogan wanting to be champion again appears to be a shoot. Yeah. So I, I just also, this is probably the best place for this. I want to give a quick mention here to a story in another source we're going to reference probably multiple times during this uh, part two. Bret Hart's book. Excellent mm. book. Um, I've referred to this multiple times. This was said before he returned to television, as you just mentioned there, Kyle. Well, when Hogan first shows up to television and Brett sees him, they cross paths for the first time backstage on March 8th. And Brett goes over to him and extends his hand, you know, happy to see Hogan back. Now he's the champion. We'll see what happens. And Hogan gives him a dismissive nod and leaves Brett hanging with no handshake. Oh man. And they uh -huh. don't they don't talk again until WrestleMania. 
Now, was this the same taping as Timmy and Tommy the Turtle? March 8th is starting to ring a bell for me here. Yeah, Hold may on. have been. May have been. <laughs> I, I feel the same way. I heard March 8th at the end of uh, part 1A. I remember that, that date. Yeah, yeah. It's it's not like May nineteenth, right? Uh, right. <laughs> uh, hold on, this Timmy and Tommy the turtle there. Hold on, I, why why am I obsessed with this right now? Why would I be obsessed? Uh, no, that was March 9th in a Oh God! Oh, so, okay. They, they were not involved with Timmy and Tommy the turtle. They okay. were there. They they're not culpable. Okay, so Hogan uh, burying Brett to the uh, Rockford paper, giving him the cold shoulder, and that's one warning sign. All right, maybe mm-hmm. two. All right, Dave Meltzer and Wade Keller. Here's another warning sign. During the build to WrestleMania 9, and this is all over the Observer the Torch, they continuously hypothesized the idea that Money, Inc. would probably lose the tag titles to maybe like the Steiners before WrestleMania and before facing the Mega Maniacs because Dave and Wade, and I agree with them, neither could see Hogan being a tag team champion and in your mind, you know, we talked about this in the last episode, Hogan's not going to lose his return match to the company. Wouldn't think so. So, okay, like, you, you think about that, right? Like, I even remember, you talk about watching at the time. Mm. Do, do you remember thinking, Hulk Hogan, tag team champion? That seems weird. Yeah, yeah. I also... Because I was not a big Money Inc. fan, to say the least. Yes. Kind of saw it as if they did do it, it would at least make sense because these belts, I, I, Money Inc. was so boring and awful to me that uh, I was very much like, you know, I could actually kind of, you know, because again, I'm a kid, I don't know any better. So I just couldn't, but to be honest, I, I'm, I'm over, over egging the pudding here. Simply, I couldn't see Hogan losing. Yeah, and, and, and to be Fair. It's a money okay. ink, you know. Yeah, I guess well, that's what we want to say. We're, and, and, and we're going to criticize Hogan our fair share, um, you know, in parts two A and part two B. But he should. It, it the idea that he wouldn't, you know, get his hand raised, you know, in his return matches is insanity. Well, right? He should be I mean, working I, with these guys in the first place. But no, since it, he is, there's absolutely no fucking. If he's gonna, if he's gonna be wasting his time, then he should at least win. Yes, and we ripped on that shitty program um, and feud. Uh, you know, in the last episode, uh, w- one particular horrible Hogan beefcake promo that we failed to call out, though, in the last was when they opened Monday Night Raw together, and Hogan, like trying to rekindle his SNL days with Mr. T, was like, "Live from New York, it's Monday Night Raw." Uh, one of the most nauseating <laughs> openings to Monday Night Raw in history, and think of the ground that covers. Okay. <laughs> Let's keep going with these warning signs. Money Inc. did not drop the tag belts before Mania. And then they actually, quote, won the Mania match by DQ. Which yeah. is a dreadful match. It's <laughs> a hideous match. And so Hogan comes back, doesn't win the tag titles, the DQ finish. Like, what? Yeah, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure that justice was done to how. Yo, I wrote my first note, shitty match. It doesn't, you know, this was advertised, you mentioned this, it was, it was advertised as a double main event, but this mm-hmm. does not feel like that. This just feels like Hulk Hogan wrestling in the mid card. The, the, the way that this comes off completely with Hogan bouncing around like DBS and IRS, but 
beefcakes there. It's a gutless, stupid finish with a ref bump. Jimmy Hart turns his jacket inside out because it's got stripes on the inside, and he counts. That's the horrible. That, that's dreadful. They do the DQ. This was just like they just needed a way out. Which is a theme, I think, in the next yeah. couple of months. They, they needed a way out. Like, all right, we're going to bring Hogan back. Here's the idea. Ooh, you don't actually like this idea. Uh, so, yeah, it's a ter- It's funny because, Liam, you know, I know that you scour all corners of the internet wrestling community. Uh, or, you know, at least the ones that we don't totally write off because they're useless. But, <laughs> um, you know, and it's funny when there's like a match that no one makes the case is good. Oh, yeah. You never and, hear anybody. And, 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 and that is Muddy Inc. versus the Mega Man X. No one, it, like, not even ironically, right? No one thinks that match is good. It's absolute trash. But it's, like, eye-opening that Hogan would come back for that, right? Well, that's it. We, we mentioned that previous note where neither Dave or Wade could see Hogan being tag champion or losing, and he did neither. And still, again, nothing was accomplished. Just need to weigh out. Yes. Well, and then the biggest alarm bell, perhaps. Okay. <laughs> Which I'm going to play, by the All way. All right. Brett and Yo- prior to Brett and Yoko's world title match on the pay-per-view, Hogan, this is after the, the tag match, is backstage with Gene Okerlund and says, That's why right now, Bret Hart, I'm issuing a challenge to either you or the Jap, brother. Whoever wins the WWF title... You can't go with, <laughs> quote, the Jap. <laughs> Terry! Also, also, Kyle, we can't let this podcast slide. Talk about Japanese embassy on line one. The Japanese photographers shown in the crowd halfway through the show. <laughs> Todd Bengill interviews. Ladies and gentlemen, this event is being covered all over the world. We're here with the photographers from Japan. Sir... Were there two doinks in your opinion, or was it an illusion? Uh, no, 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 sir. You have to. Were there two doinks, sir? Were there two doinks? <laughs> All right. How are you enjoying your stay here in the U.S.? Uh, Las Vegas, number one. Hey, Yokozuna. Yokozuna, number one. Unbelievable. That you know, you know. It, so it's funny. I. I try. I, I I know WrestleMania nine pretty well, so I didn't feel like I needed to rewatch the whole thing before we did this. But I rewatched some of it. Like I put it on to fall asleep, and I saw that the other night. That segment, that is awful. It's so bad. Yokozuna number one. <laughs> that is so bad. Whoever put that together ought to be absolutely ashamed of themselves. Okay. <laughs> so I guess for those listening, okay, most people that are. You know, again, going to listen to a multi-hour series on 1993. I think they know what happened at WrestleMania 9, right? We kind of said it at the outset anyway. But mm-hmm. I guess here is where we discuss Brett Yoko into Hogan Yoko. Uh, you know, y- your thoughts here on, on kind of how the proceedings went down. Yeah, so obviously we, we have Bret Hart losing to Yokozuna with the salt in the eyes from Mr. Fuji. Um, come back to that in a second. Yoko just wins, and it's like a, it's a it's a relatively short match. Um, they went home early, right? They went home That's early. Yeah, Brett's Yoko not happy. Brett, mm-hmm. Brett's not happy that Yoko basically started the, the go home sequence on his own and cut out all of Brett's big comeback. Um, but it's a it's a well done match, and and Brett obviously is brilliant at the David and Goliath stuff. Yoko wins with the salt in the eyes. Brett Hart's best friend, 
Hulk Hogan last seen burying him in the in the star apparently in the, the old Rockford paper comes to help. Mister Fuji rather stupidly issues the challenge. Brett is just go for it, go get him, Hulk. How mad was he when he was doing that? Like, yeah. I'll be honest, I have to tip my cap to Bret Hart as a performer because he made it look like he was, like, really into it. Yeah. Like, he's like, yeah, yeah go for it. Don't worry about me. Go for it, Hulk. But you know, obviously, from, you know, all, all the talk about this over the last 30 years, how he really felt inside. Oh, yeah. And, like, so, so, I mean, it really does speak to Bret as a performer that he was not able to convey any sort of, bitterness as a, I mean, he looked really stupid doing it. Like, but oh, yeah. like, yeah, but like, you know, he didn't, he gave it his all as a performer, like what he was supposed to do, even though what he was supposed to do was really, really fucking stupid. Yeah. This is not what you see with the, like the unprofessional dickheads of the world who like, you know, would have been like, yeah, get it. And they like turn around and just like walk to the back without selling anything. Like everything's yeah. fine. That kind of stuff that you'd see. From the, from the Bush Leaguers, but no, Brett's, Brett's the opposite. Brett's going to make it as good as he can. Of course, Hogan, who just can't believe his good fortune, just kind of saunters in the ring with this golden opportunity he's just basically just moonwalked his way into. Fuji goes to throw the salt, it misses, one punch, one clothesline, one big leg, and Hogan's music is playing before Brett's even back through the curtain. Also notable, Brett didn't celebrate with Hogan. Yeah. yeah. After the show, they the, the newsletters picked up on this. It was a big deal. It was Hogan celebrating with, uh, I believe, Vince and um, Randy Savage. Mm. Wait, was was it Vince? Why I don't have that written down. For some reason, it's like popping like in my head. Well, I I, I can't remember. But like, but Brett not celebrating. You know, I guess I mean because he's selling. But um, that's interesting. Yeah, you know, this is after like, the what? show, right? Because yeah, yeah the, it's not the on, show it's, ends. The show ends with Hogan, who, by the way, gets over that whole Bret Hart concern pretty quick. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't really give a damn about that at all. Um, why do I not have that written down? Who he was celebrating? I know Savage got in the ring with him, but the the point is that you know Hogan stepped on Bret and wanted Bret to be have no part at all. Like you know, normally you know the baby faces celebrate together. I think it's notable, you know, given the backstage climate that Hogan and Bret. You know, they're linked for basically the 10 seconds when Hogan pretends to care about him and Brett pretends to, you know, that he really wants him to go go for it when he's probably seething internally. Oh, yeah. There's no probably about it. No, no probably. You're right. Yeah. When he's definitely seething. OK, so on TV. Uh, after WrestleMania nine, there, there was some controversy. They played it up like, oh, is that going to stand? Uh, what happened? Well, that old Jack on the take Tunney make a ruling that since, quote, in oral contract had been made between Hogan and Mr. Fuji. <laughs> the tight. Yeah. I have a contract book behind me from my failed semester at law school. Uh, I, I don't think Hogan and Mr. Fuji WrestleMania nine was an example used in that book at any point. Well, well, 1000 like, pages. I believe the term is verbal contract. An oral contract. It sounds like he sucked Fuji's dick to get them. Yeah, yeah. Oral pal. It was an oral <laughs> contract. Uh, well, anyway, Jack on the take, Tony says the title change will stand. Meltzer points out correctly, I may add, the WWF title has really been, quote, cheapened over the last 18 mm. months by all the changes and hot shotting. And, and that's true, man. Like, and I want to throw this in there because they're really hyping the replay. Was this the first pay-per-view they did the replay deal with? Well, Bruce Pritchard certainly touts that. Okay, because 
But with it's the one where they they really hyped the replay. Like, oh, if you missed it, what a turn of events. You've got to order the replay. And, you know, Dave really makes this point over the next several months that the WWF starts becoming a, a almost a Memphis-style promotion, at mm. least relative to what we'd seen from them uh, in the previous years. And there was just a lot of just hot shot kind of angles at this show. It was booked very differently than we saw WrestleMania's past. Not many clean finishes, quite Not frankly. Um, do you think, and, and we'll touch on this a lot of times, that the whole title change was just geared towards hyping a replay? Um, No. But I do think... See, the thing is, Bruce, Bruce Pritchard gets put on the spot on his podcast. And one of the reasons he gave is complete bullshit, which we'll touch on later. The other one he gave was that there was a Grateful Dead concert that did huge replay buys when word got out about how good it was. And they wanted to try and do something similar, um, that this big thing happened to the replays. I think that it's more, uh, you know it's a chicken and egg thing where it's like, ah, eh, you know, in this case though, I truly believe that like this change happened because Hogan wanted it to happen. And the replay thing was maybe a convenient thing that they were looking to do anyway. Okay. So, um, we also need That's to discuss. Yeah. Okay. We also need to discuss Hogan's black eye at the event and Randy Savage rumors. Absolutely. So I hope he pistol whipped him like he did build on D <laughs> personally. <laughs> Yeah, so this was a big, this was a topic of, uh, this has never been officially settled, right? Like what it was. No one has ever come out. No, Cornette seems quite, uh, you know, well, this is just what I was told. That's the story, isn't it? Like Savage punched him. But, you know, I don't know. It's it's, it's hard. It's I mean, like, if Savage is celebrating in the ring with him, who knows if he's just a pro. But, like, it's a nice story. It 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 sounds great. (laughs) and, And people, you know, want it to be true, obviously, right? That's it, yeah. But, um, you know, who, who knows um, just it, the, what it was. Yeah, just, just a quick one. The boating accident is what they, they claim it really is, right? He was on a boat and the sail came and hit him and the clotheslined him, basically. Him and Beefcake just need to stay the fuck away from these boats. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean you're right. That's a good point. I, I was thinking that, too. So the torch said the rumors were flying all week concerning Hogan's black eye. The water skiing story seems to have been discredited during the week in favor of Hogan being the recipient of a punch. One source said Hogan's wife was telling people Hogan walked into a door at a Florida gym. Given the tumultuous relationship between Hogan and Savage, of course, rumors began that Savage was the one who threw the punch. In fact, that was the story going around among WCW and WWF wrestlers all week. Mm, maybe smoke to that fire. And I always feel like when the story wavers in consistency, that's usually the re- there's usually a good uh, red flag right there that the actual real reason is something completely different because why would you need to uh, deviate from a water ski accident story? Yeah, that's yeah, it's, you're right. If the, yeah, if there's a water skiing story out there and then the wife's like, no, actually, you walked into a door. Like, I mean... Yeah, and come on. The, and it's the Hogan's, for God's sake. Yeah, yeah. People, I, I don't just, haven't told the truth in 30 years. 40, no, probably. No, they haven't. So just before we move on, though, there's a couple of things I want to point out here. That You mentioned the whole thing about how Meltzer had said that the WWF title had been cheapened by the yes, hot Yes, let's shot. go back to that. Yes, yeah, absolutely. yeah, that, that's a key point. Do you agree? How, how, to what degree do you agree with that comment? A lot. Yeah. I, mean, I remember it being noticeable at the time. There was okay, a point. Okay, that's what I was going to ask. There was a point in the mid '90s, and it and it continued through the late '90s, where I w- I remember I was actively rooting against title changes. <laughs> yeah, are you saying that? 
I thought belts were changing hands too much. And like, cause I grew up where, you know, even like an act like strike force got like a seven month run. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, and when Dave talks about the WF changing, you know, that that's the way it is. There was no hot shot changes that they would do. And, you know, with the world title in particular, yeah. um, it, it had gone in the last year from flair to savage to flair to heart. And now back to Hogan, that's like five title chain world title changes in what 15 months. Yeah. And before that, like everyone held it for at least 10. Yeah. Like from 84 through like before Hogan lost it to the undertaker at survivor series, that was a, so that was what, like he wanted at WrestleMania. So that's like an eight month run, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That was like the short, like, well, Slaughter's run was short, I guess. But but still, it just seemed like as time, I mean, obviously you can't replicate what Hogan did with the belt the first time. But yeah, it, it was getting very noticeable, all the title changes. And we're going to talk about that even more as part two continues. Because remember, back in 92, we we, we mentioned there was no house show title changes for six years. And, and yeah. there's all of a sudden a lot of house show title changes too. So it seems like it's a desperate attempt to kind of get ratings, get attention with these title changes. And it hasn't been working for yeah, sure. Yeah, and I think that's where we're going to come to on this conversation a little bit later on about the Memphisication, if you will, of, of the promotion where it's like they're becoming as business declines and as their audience constricts, we are seeing them becoming a lot more savvy about promotion and about you know trying to get the most out of situations as opposed to before they just put their stuff out there and the public was lapping it up because they were ready now they're 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 working like an actual promotion like a territory where you have to work for what you get i think the biggest lesson i really don't want this to be overlooked either because it's obvious but i think it does need emphasizing which this move the hogan getting the belt back really feels like the biggest lesson is just how valuable Vince perceived Hogan to be to do that. Because we spent a lot of time since WrestleMania 8 talking about all the effort to be build this promotion from the ashes mm -hmm. of, of Hogan leaving into 1993. All that work gets completely cast aside for this chance to recapture the magic of Hulk Hogan. Like Vince completely parts the cheeks for Hogan here. Just Not yeah. just the screw Brett, but Yoko too. Like the, Both of them just completely come off so secondary. And uh, and yeah, yeah, and, Hogan. And let's let's stay on that point. So allegedly, the WrestleMania nine finishes were kept secret until the day of the show. That's what Meltzer reported in the Observer at the time. And I know Bret Hart claims that as well. Yeah, book. he said he he said that he got told the day before. Yeah, okay, the day before. Um, and Dave noted again at the time, uh, except Hogan, who likely knew way ahead of time <laughs> that he was getting the belt back now. I, I don't know if you've seen the icons doc on Peacock or the WWF network for you. Yes. Um, on Yokozuna. It's the only one I have watched. Okay. So in addition to fingering Hogan as the one who made the decision for the two title switches, it made it seem like it was a late decision. It well as well, like that the, the, the powers that be the brain trust Vincent company were really, struggling with the idea it's like all right well do, do we have brett retained do we have yoko win the title and then they kind of make it like hulk kind of makes it like he sauntered in there 
you know, like he's Paul Diamond wanting to get the Max Moon gig. And he's like, <laughs> oh, you know, I could win the title back. <laughs> that belt like, fits oh, me. <laughs> yeah, that belt fits me. Do you believe that's how it went down? Or do you think that when Hogan came back, this was like a condition of him returning? Mm, yeah, I don't, I don't buy that it was a late decision. Um, I don't know that it would have been as... I don't know if he would have got it as part of coming back. But I do think that as things started to rally towards WrestleMania and the reality that probably that the company needed all the help it could possibly get, I think that I could see you know, Hogan making the pitch, Vince thinking this will be the thing to jumpstart things because yes. it, it's novel, it's exciting. I do absolutely believe that the wrestlers were told as late in the game as possible because that's what bookers do when they want something to happen, that they don't want the wrestlers to have long to protest or challenge. That's just what mm-hmm. they do. They, don't, they keep the talent in the dark until they need to know. Um... I think that Hogan probably knew <laughs> weeks in advance. Well, it's fascinating that both Brett and Yoko were under the impression that they were winning. <laughs> yeah, which independently, again. and then neither did. Which I, I goes, mean, that's the fascinating goes. thing about this because, like, you know, uh, Yoko and like, and everybody was really pissed. I mean, that was like in the icons doc. They were pissed. Brett and like everyone basically except Hulk Hogan was pissed. And I, I mean, I guess Vince was happy uh, about it, but. There's something that we're going to get into, um, and I guess I could talk about it now. Like, King of the Ring, the way that was set up, like, when they announced that concept for the pay-per-view, it, it's such, and we'll come back to this at a later date, but it, it was such an obvious attempt to rehab Bret Hart. Yeah, yeah. That, like, when they had that idea for a pay-per-view to do a tournament, like, in my opinion, I think they had the idea that, okay, Brett's going to get hosed at WrestleMania and we've got to rehab. <laughs> yeah, I would Go be ahead. surprised. I, I would not be surprised. I mean, Vince, when Vince gives Brett the, the instruction that you're going to lose tomorrow and Hogan's going to get the belt back and Brett's obviously crestfallen. And Vince says, hey, I don't want you to get discouraged. It's, this is just, I've got, I'm going a different direction with you. It's still onwards and upwards. And, you know, Brett's doing his best to kind of swallow it. And it's like, yeah, well, this is probably what he had in mind was that, you know, you're, you're still going to be a featured guy. You're just not going to be the featured guy. And what's fascinating about that, it he was right. Like, mm, they, yeah, they, like it, it very much seems and they wrote about this in the newsletters that at some point they would go back to Brett as champion. But it, it feels like almost just like a couple weeks after this, that they Meaning they meaning like Vincent Company regretted doing this. Oh, for sure, for sure. Well, but like, I like, feel like, like it, it's like it, it's sort of like okay. To your earlier point, I think they they were just looking for a spark, right? That's been kind of the theme yeah. for the last year in this company. They're just looking for a spark to get business back, and I think they looked at it. It's like all right, Brett retaining, eh, Yoko winning it, eh, ending WrestleMania with the heel as champion, and they were like. Okay, and and they they may have just been like you know kind of having cold feet in both regards, and then Hogan, you know, is like, oh, how about me? And they're like, oh, that sounds fun, you know. That's, yeah, and and Vince hears it and thinks, yeah, he's like, he's not sold on which way to go with Brett and Yoko, and all of a sudden it's like, you know what? If I can get Hogan back as champ, and that's where the whole onwards and upwards thing with Brett is like, okay, Hogan's gonna be like Hogan was probably that's probably what he thinks at this stage. <laughs> it doesn't turn out that way as we will discuss, but he thinks that it's gonna be. A certain way and he probably thinks you know i can i can strengthen brett and he can be my number two like savage was and it will be fine it will work out best for everybody 
All right, let's go to Dave Meltzer and Wade Keller's reactions to the dual title changes in real time. Okay, this is 1993, Dave talking from the Wrestling Observer Newsletter. Quote, there, of course, has been the expected negative reaction to Hart losing the title. Things have have to be looked at from a business perspective, says Dave. Inside the ring for the quality of his matches on a consistent basis, Hart had done as good a as it's Dave, so excuse me here. Hart had done as good a job as champion as he probably <laughs> could have under the circumstances. However, this is the entertainment business, not the construction business. Hart gained a lot in stature and in popularity, and one can argue that there was a small increase in recent months at the box office. More on that later. But realistically, that is largely the seasonal gains that take place during the first quarter of every year rather than an increase in his drawing power. The formula wasn't working at the box office, says Dave. It really mm. never did. It has a lot more to do with the state of the business than Bret Hart, but Hulk Hogan is a proven draw. The WWF needed his box office juice to maintain its position in its entertainment world. He had a lot of bargaining chips on his side because of it when he chose to return. Yeah. And we talked about this in the last episode that Hogan's bargaining power was really increased by uh, you know, the poor buy rates that Survivor Series 92 and Rumble 93 did. Yes, I agree. And uh, although I, I was happy to see that there was a more critical opinion. Yes, and that is Wade Keller in the Pro Wrestling Torch. I absolutely love this first sentence. <laughs> Quote, there is no question that R-E-S-P-E-C-T is not what Bret Hart received <laughs> at WrestleMania. Uh, Wade reported that Pat Patterson was strongly against Hogan regaining the belt. I like that note. Quote, without, this is Wade, Without Hart gaining even status with Hogan, the WWF's long-term investment in Hart will be wasted. Had Hart lost under different circumstances, his status would not be so vulnerable. According to sources close to the situation, Hart is legitimately angered by the way his title loss was handled and that there was a title loss at all. Mm. Now, Brett, in an interview over in uh, your neck of the woods on GMTV's morning oh, show. Oh, GMTV gets a reference. Okay. Yeah, I don't know what the hell that is, but uh, yeah, sounds all, like a and, fine and program. Yes, I think it was Eamon Holmes and Anthea Turner waking us all up every morning. Okay. Uh, Brett on that program said, quote, I don't know why they took the belt off me and gave it to Hogan. I don't know why they let him have it. I don't <laughs> see the logic. And Wade pointed out uh, that... You know, no one would go on TV and say that, like, if they didn't really feel it, right? That's not exactly building an angle using insider terms. So Brett is seething. But oh, he's I, As we all know, though. Liam, what I want to know from you is, Dave and Wade, who has it right there? Uh, definitely Wade. But uh, maybe both, <laughs> uh, because in defense of Dave, the decision to go back to Hogan, it looks way worse in the big picture, stay tuned, than in a vacuum. Yeah, so this is the thing with this, is that, like, I I can understand being in their position, the panicked position, where we've talked, again, it, for, for people who haven't heard our previous shows, we've been talking about money problems in this company as far back as, like, late 91, before they did the mm -hmm. Tuesday in Texas show. This is not a, a, a guaranteed money-making company. They have to do everything that's in their power to make a profit. And so... 
It's not like today when USA Network and Fox are giving them all that money. And it doesn't matter what the fuck they do because everyone's there. It's there and they got their money and it's, and it's, and it's guaranteed. In this case, it wasn't. It's, and I, I do feel like when there are points I feel like Vince has hated his own roster or hated the situation that he's, you know, the, the roster he has because of the situation he's in. And this 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 roster that he has now is certainly like not 2015 Vince's... to 2019. Yes, exactly. Yes, exactly. And also, you know, that kind of period of time in the uh, mid 90s where steroid testing was in place and WCW was not steroid testing and he was publicly whinging about it because God damn it. You know, it, my picture of what wrestler is, is not what I have here. His picture of what a champion is, is not Bret Hart. No. And unfortunately i hate to say it, but the quicker you realize that the quicker everything else makes sense because brett's dave is not wrong at all he's actually completely dead on i think in terms of the ra- the rationale and the reasoning behind why you would go to a hulk hogan and i think that keller is also completely right in the sense that it's not even necessarily the choice to go to hulk hogan the execution of doing it the way you do and making Brett look so secondary in the process, it completely... I don't know what Brett's ceiling was ever going to be as a top guy. We never really got to find out, I don't think. Because this this kneecapped him before he really ever cemented himself as being a worthy top guy. I feel like had they had Yoko win in a screwy way, Maybe they, you know, they they did more with the Lex thing, and they kind of gave Bretton out that was more obvious, and 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 pulled him away. And they had Hogan challenging Yokozuna for the belt at King of the Ring and winning it there. You would have achieved the same thing without making Bret look so obviously, blatantly secondary by doing something they hadn't done before. Again, the unprecedented nature of the way they do the two title changes within the space of two minutes. It's like. It's never happened before, and it's only happened because it's Bret Hart and Yokozuna, and it's Hulk Hogan, and it just—it was just the, the, the complete secondary nature of both of them. It's just like it just cemented them both as like, okay, the mid carders have had the belt, and now Hogan's back, and the stars got it. Okay, let's stick on that point because I, I want to harp on this. So one thing that I've been rather adamant about you know, in, in modern times, it's actually really hard, I think, to analyze a show in the moment. Yes. Right. It's a lot easier as we're going back now with 30 years, like, like the story's been written, right? Whereas like when you review pay-per-views in real time, you don't necessarily know where things are going. So like your opinions can change, right? Easily, easily. And, 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 And you're rating things based on stream of consciousness thinking that's just happened before your eyes and you can make leaps of faith and comparisons that are completely irrelevant to the big picture yeah like i'll be honest with you okay we shit on modern wwe a lot you and i but like the the fact that cody rhodes didn't beat roman reigns at wrestlemania this past year like everyone was like pulling their hair out at the time right it doesn't look so bad now well, anyway. this is the thing do you remember you know, mentioned the show we did a show with garrett gonzalez both of us before wrestlemania where we said, I remember we said on that show, are we convinced that Cody's going to win? And guess what? Even if he doesn't, I've got a feeling that it won't, ma- it won't matter to this audience. Yes, exactly. Now, it's a, di- a different era in 93 and things mm-hmm. do matter. And th- this is my point, 
that I want to make with WrestleMania 9, okay? Because we're going to talk about its legacy here in a moment. WrestleMania 9 as the worst WrestleMania ever. <laughs> I don't think that, that maybe it was out there like right at the time. You know, Dave kind of, he shit on the show. I'll, I'll pull a quote. Um, actually, the quote is right here. Quote, promised literal and delivered even less. <laughs> is what Dave wrote about WrestleMania 9. <laughs> Not exactly uh, a, a, a stirring review there from Dave in the Observer, but like, here's my big point I've always wanted to make on WrestleMania 9. The sh- because of the way things unfold, that this move back to Hogan, not only does it make Brett look really secondary in the moment, but it doesn't work out. Like it does not, it's not the spark that they hope for to bring business back. That is... Be- and we're going to talk all about that later on. It's because of that that WrestleMania 9 is the worst one ever, I think. Like, the, in a vacuum, we can say, okay, I understand why they maybe did this. But when you look big picture, and this is, okay, people say, ah, well, you know, you guys could do this with the benefit of hindsight. But, you know, they made their choice. It did not work at all. And I think that is why WrestleMania 9 is the worst ever. It's not. It's not just that, Hogan gets the belt back. It's the how they did it, and then all the fallout. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. This is there's nothing good about the show really. Anyway, there's not a lot to point yeah. to where you'd be like, mm-hmm. the WrestleMania is nine is a great show because you wouldn't be talking for very long. But the nature, and we talked about this on the last show with Giant Gonzalez. Funny enough, you know, it's completely it seems like an uh, irrelevant comparison, but it's the Vince mindset of no relation it, to Garrett, by the way. No, no, <laughs> no relation to Garrett at all. But the, the the Vince mentality of Hail Mary, you know, punt and go long. Just if if it works and it can work big, he'll take that option every time. And this is the irony of this situation. I don't think he thought he was this was a Hail Mary. I think he thought this was safe. This is the safe thing to do. Go back to Hogan. This will be the thing that is the logical safe play. This isn't the Hail Mary. Which is the the irony of it is, is like actually, it plays out like a hail mary that bombs, which again it it goes to show how completely off the piece Vince was in terms of how much Hogan meant anymore to 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 just being there. I'm not saying that he couldn't have drawn money because obviously he would go on to draw a great deal of money in WCW. But um, yeah, I feel like the the irony is that like Bret Hart is the guy who gets kind of sacrificed in all of this. That, you know, to Vince, like, that's the big risk. When in reality, it's like, well, actually, what you've been building for a while here, if you stayed the course and you you did the same thing but played it a little bit wiser, a little bit safer, it might not have blown up as bad. But because it was such a big move that bombed so badly, it stains this show. Yes, and we're going to come back to this stuff, okay? Like, Hogan and Hart, were, they dominate the beginning, obviously, here of part two, and then at the end of part to uh, be, uh, we're going to go back to them. Yeah. If if Bret Hart had beaten Hulk Hogan for the title, if he got the belt back by beating Hogan clean, does that make WrestleMania Nine not as bad? Yes, I agree. I I think you said something that is so key that we don't know what Bret Hart's true ceiling was. And it's not necessarily because of WrestleMania 9. It's because the plan 
if if it was their actual plan to have him beat Hogan, never took place. Mm-hmm. That 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 was the real killer, and it's because of that that WrestleMania nine. Um, you know, you've said this. Here's your quote right here. WrestleMania nine. It was something to this effect. I, we, we were talking about it, but WrestleMania nine has the worst booking decision of the early manias, but eleven had the least going for it. Because those, ah. th- those are the two manias that I think a lot of people cite as like the two worst, right? I know yeah. Rick Skelton, one of our, you know, one of our favorite listeners, a great human being. He like actually likes WrestleMania 9 and he's like cursing he us does. Right now. He does. He does. I, I, I remember when we did a show ranking the WrestleManias, he was livid that we put 9 last. But, you know, that's the thing. It's not relative to the first eight, 9 did not have much going for it at all. Like, and somebody on the on the Facebook page commented on this, where they said the the amount of star power that was lost from Mania Eight to Mania Nine is just jarring, and I think even to the casual observer, like I think my wife even who doesn't know you know a wrist lock from a wrist watch as they say, okay, <laughs> like if she was she would be like oh wow like what happened to like it's just so jarring, <laughs> like. And that's another kind of strike against WrestleMania nine, I think. So it, I guess my question to you is, is it the worst WrestleMania ever? Uh, not just to this point, but still to this day. I'm not sure if, if, to the, if, if it still holds the all time wooden spoon, because there's been some pretty dank WrestleManias with some pretty horrible main events. I, I don't know that there's been one with a booking decision that actually put them back I can think of one, and people it's going to blow people's mind. It's the mania that everyone thinks is the best, 17. Oh, yeah. I, okay, okay, I, okay. Yeah. I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this right now, and I don't give a damn if it upsets people. <laughs> Austin turning heel is worse than Hogan getting the belt back. WrestleMania 17 I wasn't even really thinking of because I don't consider that a bad show apart from no, that. No, it's not. No, it's not. No, that's what I'm saying. It's a good, it's a great, it's one of the best it's a, manias. It's, a, it's, it's, an awesome, it's an awesome WrestleMania with a horrific last five minutes. You know, we're, we're going to talk about some Mania 9 business here in a minute, but, like, it, it feels like whatever the ceiling was for this promotion, like, okay, like, Hogan getting the belt back was not a spark. It did not lead to an increase in business. But, like, I feel that if they had just kept with Brett, I don't think it necessarily would have fallen off substantially. That killed business for the rest of all. Well, like, I mean, there was just a noticeable dip. No matter okay, what okay. anyone wants to say about how good Austin was in that heel role— Business died after that show, and it was clearly tied to that booking decision. And they're just, uh, you know, doubling down on it at the Invasion show, which I was there live. That's, that's like, terrible. <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> here, like here, like they're like, yeah, fuck, your business isn't that great. We'll try this. Um, and it was bad, but I, I, I don't think it necessarily was any worse if they would have stayed. I, I don't know. Like staying the course versus what they did, I, I don't know. It just, it just didn't provide the spark they were looking for. But you said something earlier, like, and we're going to get into the undercard here in a little bit. There's just not a lot going for it. This WrestleMania and the opening of this show. Let's just talk about the look of the show because some people cite that, like when they're trying to come up with positives for WrestleMania Nine. Oh, the look of the show is unique. But <laughs> you know, to me, it's a literal circus atmosphere, a bit too cartoony and sunny. Uh, not Tammy Sitch. I'm talking about the the sky. Yes. Um, and you know this toga theme was lame. Uh, the Torch reported that only five fans wore togas, so that was a flop. 
<laughs> Toga could, parties I, in 1993. Were they still yeah, I, a thing? I, I could not find one when, it, when I was looking in the crowd. But, like, again, so WrestleMania 9, to me, it's like, all right, here's a show. There's not a lot of good match. There's really no good matches. The booking's not that good. And, like, the one big idea they try doesn't work. So there's nothing really that works here. <laughs> no. Not, cheap, not, not a cheap, cheap finishes everywhere. <laughs> um just DQs and count outs and ways out all the time. The finish tips it over the edge mm-hmm. for sure. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I think that 11 is worse as a show for sure. As an actual start to finish watch, I think 11's worse because. But it doesn't, it just doesn't have the bad booking decision. Like, like, so whenever people bring up WrestleMania 9, they always bring this at the end up how can you not yeah yeah what a bad taste like 11 it's sort of like yeah no one gave a fuck and you know (laughs) and it ended and still no one gave a fuck (laughs) Um, (laughs) you know you mentioned modern manias i I don't know people i feel like would like this like to hear like what else we think is in contention for worst manias because you mentioned how there's been some other ones and you're not sure if nine still holds the wooden spoon Mm -hmm. yeah yeah, there's um, been some pretty clear. I have, a, I have a clear choice for number the third worst besides nine and eleven. Mm, okay, what guess what that is. Ooh, well, the lockdown WrestleMania was certainly no good. That, that, that's bad. <laughs> I, I, Extenuating I feel, circumstances, though. I feel so, you, you know. have to give it an asterisk. So, in terms of like rewatchability, who the fuck would put that back on? Like, like if you were like, dude, one, like, like, like if you flew across the Atlantic and came over my house, Liam, and, and you're like, all right, let's watch some wrestling. And you're like, dude, let's put on WrestleMania 36. I would say go home. <laughs> Fly home. You know, because like, you know, like, I mean, who would want to like rewatch that? Like, th- that's a WrestleMania you look. I mean, like one of the like, I guess some people enjoyed the Boneyard. I did. not I, I know you all. did it. I, I mean, the Firefly Funhouse is like an abomination. That's atrocious the, as well. The, 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 I think that's way worse than the Boneyard, but there's not a lot to hang your hat on, but I feel like you have, like, because there were no fucking fans, for God's sake, they're doing a show in front of empty chairs. Like, there has to be a bit of an ad. The fact that there was a WrestleMania at all that year is kind of, like, crazy. Um, 32 was what I was going to throw out as clearly the third worst. Oh, God, yes, with Roman and Triple H, the, the record setter. Yeah, that was a fucking horrible show. And then Shane and Undertaker getting 30 minutes. Those are yeah. two of the, like, like I can't think of a major show that has two worse matches to close it than that one. That are just <laughs> mind-numbing. I, I had a party to watch that show. There were Me more, too. There were more people in the room sleeping than a yes! show ended. Yes, me too, me yeah, too. So, I mean, so, so that, that 27 and 29, they're no good either. Yeah, 27 really stinks. I'm not a big fan of WrestleMania 35. The Kofi Mania one? The, Co- the yeah. Kofi Mania? I don't like that yeah, show. Yeah, that's not a good one. It's the last single day one. I think it's got at least, I mean, the Kofi thing, I think this, like that's better than anything on the other ones that we mentioned. Um, Four, I know, is is mentioned down there, but I have a soft spot for four. You know, I was a, I was a young child. <laughs> so I'm not going to put that at the bottom. But yeah, I don't know. So... WrestleMania nine, I guess that's sort of, you know, if you want to, I, I think it's still the worst just because it had very little going for it. And the one kind of hail Mary thing they tried to do just didn't work. So, I mean, yeah. there's just, yeah. there's really no true positives, but of course, uh, <laughs> if you want to try to spin a positive about WrestleMania nine, who better to call than Steve Planamenta, 
<laughs> and uh, the Titans, <laughs> the Titans sports director of corporate communication, uh, he Oof. was quote he was quoted about WrestleMania in an article in the Las Vegas Daily Racing Forum, and he said this: "We cross barriers. We're what we call sports entertainment. We focus on entertainment. We create characters." We create superheroes and superstars. We take top-notch athletes and we put them in an entertaining setting. There are good guys and bad guys, so it is easy for the kids to follow, and in the long run, with a little bit of luck, the good guy wins. It's all for entertainment purposes. Have you gotten the entertainment part yet? We're honest with our fans. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) We respect them and we respect their intelligence. And when you see this logo, you can be assured. Yes, the wrestlers aren't going out there to kill one another. The WWF considers this entertainment. Berserker did. Yes, he did. So that's old Steve Planamenta there. What a load uh, of fucking nauseating horseshit that is. Uh, it was not a sellout at Caesar's Palace, Leo. <laughs> but even oh. with the crowd one quarter of the size uh, of WrestleMania 8, WWF basically made as much money here as they did the previous year at the Hoosier Dome, thanks to higher ticket prices. Kind of mm. similar deal to Manias 4 and 5 versus 3, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Where, where, you know, they, it, it's a casino crowd, you charge them. Uh, Dave noted, of course, the crowd was a bunch of non-fans at the casino, so they were there to see Hulk Hogan and little else on the show. Hogan did get, you know, the crowd was, I the crowd was like dead for the first four matches. They did kind of wake up for Hogan in that match a little yeah, bit. But so when I am a real American pop, they, they, they did sort of wake up for that. Yeah, so I it's I don't know if I could say it's a bunch of non-fans because that's quite a leap of of, uh, of of faith trying to you know identify these these fans as casino people or not. But I do think that yeah, it's certainly a dead crowd for a portion of it, and there's points in this show when they are just comatose. Again, the Steiner Shrinkers match that we mentioned in part one A, I think, where I really don't like that match just because the crowd's so fucking dead. It doesn't. It feels like it doesn't matter what they do, and shockingly. One of the biggest pops on this show, sorry to say it, it's when The Undertaker knocks Giant Gonzalez over. Yes. Yes, it is. Um, you know, I forgot how long, you know, we talked about the look of the show. I want to get back mm. to it. Like, the cert- like, dude, the intro to this show was, like, painfully long. The with, ceremony? <laughs> with, yeah, with Savage and Heenan coming out. Now, I know there was a funny point with Savage and Heenan. <laughs> I'm so glad that you mentioned it. I, this is like my, one of my favorite parts of the show is Bobby Heenan falling off the camel and doing his hokey routine. And then Savage just lifts his toga up to show his bulging nutsack and gives a thumbs up to the camera. That, that, that might have been the highlight of the whole show. So, um... <laughs> Yeah, so it wasn't a sellout, but you know they're still making money uh, on the pay-per-view front. Reportedly, irate wrestling fans stormed the cable offices in Brantford, Connecticut, because a computer malfunction meant no WrestleMania on the cable systems there. Police reportedly had to be called because fans were so angry about missing the show they pounded on the doors and windows. This was in the Wrestling Observer newsletter, but I feel. Someone from the WWF fed it to the Observer, and it has to be made up. There can't be. Was it just the Hart family after the show? Or or it's the same fans who laid flowers outside Titan Towers when Vince's limo exploded? Oh, no. <laughs> I believe that was Donald Trump. Was that really? 
Um, buy rate was down compared to Mania 8, but the number of actual buys were up. And this is an interesting conversation mm. because the same was true with the Rumble versus the 92 Rumble. Kind of shocking, right? The 92 yeah. Rumble, we, we all love it, but 93 did more buys slightly. It's a negligible difference. The pay-per-view universe uh, is expanding uh, as we roll throughout the early 90s. But technically speaking, more people bought Mania 9 than Mania 8, and more people bought Rumble 93 versus Rumble 92. And Liam, we must have made it because we have been reached by the repack reports. Now, <laughs> for those yeah. of you in, in the word, uh, in the world of Squared Circle Gazette who may have never listened to Top Rope Nation, first of all, I implore you to listen to Top Rope Nation, a podcast I used to be a part of. Um, but uh, Chad Repack, my good buddy, listens to more wrestling podcasts than like anybody. And when I would do time, he would like consume them and he would just like feed me info, like what people were saying. And I joked, I called it the repack report as a play on the Finkel report because <laughs> it was Howard Finkel's job back in the day to read all the newsletters and report to Vince. Well, Chad was listening to uh, a previous episode here of Squared Circle Gazette. And he said this, he sent this to me, quote, I heard you and Liam say that WWF pay-per-view buys did not increase when more homes got pay-per-view. Wade likes to bring up that WWF had him and Dave at their headquarters and a WWF executive told Dave and Wade that pay-per-view buys will go up when more homes get pay-per-view. And Wade said he can't know that for sure. And the WWF guy and Dave both told him they will go up. Chad said, I've heard Wade tell that story at least three times. <laughs> so maybe a little self-serving from Wade there. But so as we know, okay, Buys don't go up as the pay-per-view universe is expanding. And, and we've been talking about this, right? Because Dave did seem to think it would. Like, he's like, oh, my God. Like, if you go back and read, like, 89 Observers, he's like, my God. Like, when this pay-per-view universe really opens, can you imagine how many buys WWF's going to do when more homes get pay-per-view? And you and I have made the point that it's like, eh, the people who are inclined to order these things were the first ones to get pay-per-view. Yeah, and it was, they'll find and it was, a way. And it was the product just not being hot is the reason that buys kind of leveled off and buy rates um, drop. But it's really interesting to me, Liam, that because this is an anomaly when you, you look year over year with Rumble 93 and Mania 9. Normally, as you keep going throughout the 90s, it's, you know, the number of total buys is down versus the previous year. The buy rate, of course, is down. But here we're seeing a slight increase in buys. Mm -hmm. Do we think buys or buy rate is the better measurement? Because Dave kept hyping or, or harping on the buy rate and how it's like record lows. You'd always hype on that. But the fact that buys were up, is that something that's interesting to you? Yes, very I think okay. buys. I think buys are the better measure. Buyer rate is a tough one. Anytime that you deal with a percentage measurement, it's difficult because while access expands, and there will be some folks who like jump in who didn't before, and and you know they have they they become fans when pay per views available and it's there for them and they can get it. The percentage indicator of a buy rate, which was not only uh, you know constantly referenced throughout the '90s, but Power Slam magazine over here also dealt in buy rates more than buys when it came to reporting on things. But that can be like wildly skewed by the markets that are impacted by the growth of the access. Like mm -hmm. 
if the citizens of like bumfuck Montana suddenly get pay per view, I don't know how much of a dent it's actually going to make in the number of buys because it is a big wrestling area compared to like two million more people in California getting it or something like that, or if it opens up a little bit more in in New Jersey or somewhere where where WF's got roots and, and is popular percentages are harder to read because the reason behind the actual growth of the overall number it's like okay we get a sense that of the available people this percentage is invested whereas buys because i've like you said i always believe that the people who want to get this will they'll find a way to get it or they'll find a way to watch it the number and kind of that that plays out over time as the buys go down constantly throughout the nights apart from this period which i find interesting because this you know, buys went up during a period when they were rebuilding and then they threw that away why do you th- like so it's you know the easy answer like oh well why were buys up this time relative to the previous would be like oh well hogan's back in the fold but he wasn't at rumble 93 like mm-hmm. w- um like what do you think is going on here with that like why do you think for these two shows, they were actually up in buys year over year. Not only that, but they, in theory, more people paid to watch him with Beefcake, if we're saying Hogan's the difference maker, than watched him with Sid in what was very heavily teased as his retirement match. Yeah, that that is very interesting, right? I mean, like, you like you just would not... Th- and then, like, the Rumble. I mean, that's, like, almost, like, nauseating to me. That 93 <laughs> did better than 92. Like, 92, the title was on the line with a way more star-studded cast. And, you know, 93, I mean, the product seemed cold going into that show. It did. I do not... I feel like there's something to be said for the existing fans feeling more passionate this is usually i mean this is this is the AEW business model you don't have to have the absolute biggest audience if you can get a high percentage of them to invest in it because they care this was the problem with tna where people would watch their show and no one would ever pay to see anything they ever did um this is a case where when they went to Brett, and really, that's really all I'm going to give credit to for the Rumble, because the Rumble match was not well built that year. And oh. I don't I don't believe the stipulation of winner gets the champ at WrestleMania is, is even a tenth as effective as winner gets the WF title because it's vacant with Hogan and Flair and Sid and Savage and all those guys going for it. There's no way that that's more marketable. I feel like Brett is probably the reason I would be inclined to credit. Or just the fact that the promotion felt like it maybe had a little bit more momentum because they were going in a new direction. And it was interesting. Yeah, okay. So, you know, if you scan the internet, you're always going to find these are, are sometimes can be a little different. But the numbers I'm looking at right here, Rumble 92 to 260,000 buys, 93 to 300,000. WrestleMania 8 did 390. Uh, Mania 9 did 430. That's not yeah, about this, right this is like Yeah, yeah. It's a very negligible gain. But, like, it's notable that it didn't dip. And I misspoke about something, by the way. Because there actually was another instance of buys being up year over year. And that was in late 94, uh, when Brett was the champion again. Uh, SummerSlam and Survivor Series, 94, did better than the corresponding years of 93. And we'll get Mm. to that as this uh, series rolls on. 
Yeah. So, you know, I do. And Brett Brett says that in his book. And I know that people can can roll their eyes at some of Brett's self-aggrandizing comments. But unfortunately, sometimes, oftentimes, they turn out to be pretty true. And it's like, he actually made the point that, like, I, I knew that it was a bad idea because my fans genuinely felt like they believed in me and would invest in me. It's not like, you know, he observed with other people. And it's like, the fact that those buy rates went up when he was the champion, it says something. Yeah, and, you know, Dave mentioned, oh, well, that's just seasonal growth. You see this time of year. I don't buy well, that. No, I mean, we, we'd seen drops. I mean, like, yeah. right? I mean, ever since we've been talking, doing this series. Mania's like, dropped every year we've talked about it. Yeah, th- this was the first year Mania hasn't dropped since we've talked about it. So um, there's going to be another pay-per-view added. Uh, to the WWF calendar in 1993. And it is King of the Ring, which would take place June 13th in Dayton, Ohio, the heartland of America, <laughs> because we don't want to talk about Dayton. Uh, and there will be a rematch between Hogan and Yokozuna for the WWF title, the headline, plus a single elimination one-night tournament. You're going to have to hold on, folks, uh, for quite a bit uh, to get Liam and I's breakdown on that because there's a lot more Mania Fallout to discuss, is there not, Mr. Robert? Indeed there is. Indeed All there right. is. Bret Hart had a rough day. Yeah, let's uh, hit kind of the undercard here. They did an angle at the Mania 9 luncheon where Lex Luger, quote, knocked out Hart with the dreaded steel forearm. This was acknowledged during the pay-per-view, seemingly giving Hart an out for losing and setting up a house show program post-Mania between Hart and Luger. Didn't really go anywhere, that particular program. Brett has some spirited promos that you can find on the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, his promos were generally spirited around that time because he was obviously pissed off that the title <laughs> uh, was taken off him. Uh, there was an investigation into Lex Luger's forearm. He has to wear some fucking lame pad. The narcissist was just very bad. And we talked about this last time. This is a clear example of the the WWE magic not working on an established name in the business. That being yeah, weird. yeah. I, when you see the, in, in, you know, this is one of those things, this angle. If it was to give Brett an out, they didn't do a very good job of it. Um, and the coughing does... was so bad. I love Brett, but how phony is it? How Brett like coughs, and then and then it's like so clearly the cue for Luger to run at him. Yeah, yeah. That, that's that, that's no damn good, man. That's not good. And it's like, this would have been, you know, they, we could have shown this during the broadcast, which they didn't even do at WrestleMania 9, like to try and get over to the to the viewers that if something happened earlier on that you need to see, because this might impact our main events. And it gives Brett the the, the excuse. It, they didn't do that at all. Like, they just kind of mentioned it in passing. Oh, so he got knocked out at breakfast. He's back, though. Um, let it, but when, you, when he comes and does the elbow to Brett, I just look at it. It's like, God, oh, you know, Lex Luger, the asshole, is so much more interesting than Lex Luger, the guy who likes mirrors. Yeah, and... You know, we should talk about, you know, let's stick with the narcissist here. Uh, he knocked out Mr. Perfect after a cheap win at Mania. The two were reportedly not on the same page in the match, according to Dave, because they didn't know the finish until the last minute. Well, also, also, Luger claims that Perfect forgot the whole match when he was in the ring. That's interesting. Yeah, Lex said that, like, he was like, he goes, this is my first WrestleMania, and I thought, I'm going to have this great match with Mr. Perfect because he's got the rep. And then he goes and they lock up, and Perfect, like, basically just says, what are we doing? I've forgotten everything. Well, Perfect had a very clunky promo, too, before the, that. The, the Lexus-ness <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so I don't know what old, what old Kurt was doing. Behind, right behind, before, behind. yeah. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, so they have this clunky match that Luger wins. 
perfect. Uh, all right, before because we need to deviate. Uh, we're we're going to deviate to perfect and his next feud here. The narcissist, mm. Liam. It, it's just it's just not working. It's you not know, working. He, he's, I, he's, I, he's he's <laughs> knocking out the WWF champion at a luncheon. He beats Mister Perfect. But he's just not over. And I, I really want to I don't want to let that go away because obviously Luger becomes such a big part of the story as the summer rolls along. Yeah. So the thing is, I personally, again, if it was just Lex Luger, the asshole with Bobby Heenan as his manager, I like the forearm thing. Not necessarily the pad, but the idea of like the the implanted steel plate. I've always, I maybe just because I'm, I was a kid when it when I saw it, I thought that's fucking what a bastard. He's a cheating motherfucker. You know, I feel like and, that could have been quite good with Heenan talking it up as like a kill shot move. Yeah, exactly. Like that's and it's like you, you it's like the, the the move, and you can use it to get heat. It could work, but it's just everything about the character is just so boring and dull. Like I don't care. If you like the way you look, it doesn't, it's not special to me. Like, it's not interesting. The, the, it's, it's funny how much focus they kind of give that early Lex and Brett stuff, considering that it's all for absolutely nothing in the end. No, I, and Luger's promos are dreadful on television about <laughs> they're, it. Like, they're the worst. Like, it's not really clear why, you know, he was going after Brett. It's just, I don't know. It just, it, it felt like, all right, we're going to give this out to Brett, like something he can blame. It's a direction he can go in because Ho- we're, we're Mary and Hogan and Yoko for mm-hmm. King of the Ring. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's a, it's enough. It's a very forgotten feud, Bret Hart and Lex Luger. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and Lex is somebody who, because his movement, the aesthetics of his body movement are quite mechanical anyway. When you take this character that's so one-dimensional and slap it on him, it just, it's just not going to connect. Yeah. Um, so perfect after losing the Lex Luger at Mania. He goes after him backstage. And this was like another one of the kind of different Memphis-esque things they did, mm. right? You, you didn't have yeah. like sort of like backstage brawls. And Perfect, he, he's going to find Lex. He, but Lex is talking to Shawn Michaels. And we wind up getting this wild backstage brawl, which I really enjoy. That's yeah. one of the highlights between Perfect and Michaels. And we then, it's very obvious, and get this sort of dream icy title feud between Michaels and Perfect. That was something yeah. I remember... At the time, I was a big fan of both, and I was pretty excited. I was like, oh, man, Perfect and Michaels are going to feud. Yeah, that's great. The bin shot's evil. The first one, he hits him with the edge. That's great stuff. Yeah, yes. I, like, I like this a lot. Yeah, this is this is a much better direction for Michaels. Let's put it that way. Exactly. And and so Michaels and Perfect, they have a couple more pull-aparts on television, including the infamous one on, on the May 10th Raw which was reportedly a rib on Howard Finkel as perfect through Michaels through the windshield of Fink's car. (laughs) Enjoy Uh, Fink. Yeah. Uh, Now the Manhattan center, there was another, there was a Sean promo where the, the the folks in New York city were all over Sean about being quote gay. There was a lot of Sean is gay chance though. In one instance, they were prompted by him saying, he pointed at two fans specifically and said, oh, they just got back from a parade in D.C. Sean. You can't. What are we <laughs> but, doing here? 1993, but, everybody. But they are relentless. Let's not end this up. They are relentless with this chance. Even when Vince gets this look on his face like, fuck me, this is a bit much. Like, yeah. And they do, it, they do it the next week, too. Like This becomes his thing for a couple of weeks. Yeah. Now, Sean, in re- he would reference hitting perfect with the garbage can at Mania. Many times. 
But the problem is he seems to have his Sesame Street characters confused because he keeps calling perfect Grover rather than Oscar. Yeah. Yeah, I, I let, think let, it's... Uh, did, I I'm, I'm a little surprised no one told him that because he, he does it in multiple promos. Like even Coach Vince, he's like, you know, uh, uh, you know, Mr. Perfect's like Grover, you know? And that's after, and they, he does it in a pre-tape. So Oscar was the grouch. He lived in the garbage can. Grover had nothing to do with garbage cans. Yeah, and I, I feel like the fact that Sean kept saying this and it never got a reaction from anybody. It's like somebody, like he would figure it out or somebody would smarten him up. Maybe it's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Then again, having said that, we do have a character called the Heartbreak Kid with a mullet and a fucking unibrow, by the way, at this point, Sean. You gotta pluck that shit, man. You can't go around calling Mr. Perfect Grover and yourself the Heartbreak Kid looking like this. This is just, <laughs> just not right. The scissors, Sid? I said the scissors, <laughs> Sid? Yeah. Well, no reaction. Um... So, yeah, so Perfect and Sean, we're not done talking about them. Some fun brawls, the one at Mania, the one where they destroy Howard Finkel's car. That, that's a much better direction for both Perfect and Sean than what they were doing at Mania. And we, we referenced that that should have probably been an IC title. Well, once Janetti left the company in January, was fired, they should have just gone to Perfect and Sean going into Mania, I think, even if they had to you know, do a cheap finish, perhaps, at Mania. Yeah, agreed. Uh, all right, a creative finish at Mania... At least I thought so. Saw the debut of the two doinks deal. Steve Kern, the former Skinner, I know one of your favorite characters, uh, he was playing the role of the second doink. Skinner is, is, is no more. And Kern actually hid under the ring before the show started and stayed there until after the show was over. Yeah, this is great. The illusion. What an illusion. It's an illusion. So back to our discussion, because it's doink beating crush. Okay, and they use it with the second doink coming from out of the ring. The crowd woke up for this, too. The mostly dead crowd for the first four matches. This is one of the few times they woke up when the second doink came out. But back to our discussion from part one. What, do we think that this, doing the two doinks, was this a response to doink being cheered in certain areas on the houses and in New York City? They're like, okay, we've got to double down as, on him as a heel what can we do so he's not getting cheered in certain markets? All right, let's do two doinks for cheap heat. I think that there's something maybe to that. I think that as, mu as much of it, they wanted to just have a clever finish. Because do you know what the original finish was supposed to be? No, or I've the, forgotten. The original finish of this, Matt Bourne talked about it, was they had set up a rig in Doink's uh, head, like his mask, his, his wig, that when Crush did the head crush, it was going to shoot pyro out of both sides. So it looked like basically like Doink's head exploded. Oh my God. <laughs> it was supposed to be like he was going to pop his head and like just like paint and pyro was going to like shoot in Crush's face and then he would pin him. And it was, but, so like, but like the day of the show or the day before the show when they tried it, like it was too risky and they didn't want Chris's face so close because they couldn't predict what was going to happen with it. And yeah. so they, they ixnade it. And so they were like, okay, so what else could we do? And then they came up with a double doink idea after that. That's interesting. It was so last because they really go hard with this second doink deal. Yeah. They on, on TV. Like, like, and I, as I'm watching the television unfold after mania, okay. As much as I, I laugh at the finish, especially when it's like the two of them are there and they're pretending it's a mirror <laughs> and Heaton's talking about how David Copperfield's being put to shame. <laughs> yeah. But like on the T like, I love the heel doink character. We talked about this in part one, right? How this idea, it's like, who is this guy who's playing a clown that likes to make children cry? It went from this sort of more complex character to, all right, there's two of them and it's going to be cheap heat all the time. 
Yeah. And I kind of didn't like how heavy they leaned into the two joint deal. Cause like every match was, where's the second one? Yeah, I don't like that. This That's not a good evolution for Doink. Doink should be, he's a trickster who can pull all these different things out of his hat. It shouldn't have been that there's two of them or three of them or four of them or whatever. Like, I didn't I didn't like it. I fucking hate seeing Skinner in the role. Like, he doesn't have an ounce of the charm that Bourne does. When you see, like, because I think it's on the, uh, we'll get to this later on, UK Rampage 93. Uh, <laughs> there's, a, there's a show that fucking doesn't need watching. Doink is Kern on that show, and... He's just he's just terrible in the role. He's got no fucking. He doesn't have any of the Matt Bourne magic. This show, WrestleMania Nine, I should say, as as regular listeners of this podcast in years past will know, this was a this show was kind of a big part of me becoming a wrestling fan for life. Because I'll be honest, this was the show when Doink turned babyface to me because I loved Doink at WrestleMania Nine. Just when he comes to the ring acting like a goof with the umbrella and then he just gives the camera that little sideways glance when he looks down at it that's magic and then at the end when after they've done the illusion he just looks at the camera and he's like what happened what happened what happened and there's some great uh great commentary character. with jr and heenan oh they're amazing up, like jr is like oh i'm not a real big fan of this guy and Heenan's like i don't think he cares <laughs> I love that. Uh, you know, it's funny. You're talking about Matt Bourne and, and Steve Kern playing the two doinks. Uh, funny story from the torch here. Matt Bourne's wife was upset by reports that her husband was hanging around with another woman backstage at a TV taping. It turns out, though, that it wasn't Bourne, but it was Kern in his doink costume. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what, though? <laughs> These wrestlers and their excuses. We'll come, we'll come back to another wrestler excuse later on, by the way, that needs a fucking raised eyebrow or two. Yeah, so, all right, that's funny. You know, all of a sudden, Steve Kerr gets <laughs> in trouble with the misses. Um, Crush, let's talk about him, because he's mm. he, he's a loser at WrestleMania. <laughs> and, and, and quite frankly, he kind of is a loser for the next couple months. He, he really starts to look like the dumb baby face in certain angles. There's, like, a Raw where the multiple doinks distract him against Luger. There's, like, an angle where he's distracted with all the doinks on the on the TV screen. In, in the, I forget if it's Superstars or Challenge. But do you think this finish and the subsequent, like, the way the feud went with him being, like, outsmarted by the multiple doinks, did it kill any chance Crush had to be a top babyface? Could Crush have been a top babyface? You mentioned you kind of liked those vignettes he did while he uh, on the uh, beach when he was recovering from the attack from doink. Hmm. What do we think about the finish and how it relates to Crush? The finish uh, at Mania. Yeah, Crush, Crush is likable, but I don't think... I genuinely don't think Crush had a chance to be top babyface anyway. I think that he could have been, you know, a solid middle guy if booked reasonably well, you know? But because he's got a bit more personality now with the Hawaiian thing, he comes off a little bit cooler than he did before. He's just a plain boring dude in, in the leotard. There's a little bit of something there, but I think it's a reach to think that he could even be at like the boss man Jake level of like the the, the you know those yeah. that kind of like that, that that's a really that's the goal, and I don't think that he's ever going to get to that goal because I don't think he's there's enough to him to get to get there. Um, and if he did have what boss man and Jake had, then this wouldn't have killed him. But that's like point. you say, the aftermath, the aftermath. <laughs> Where they just continue, they Crush never gets his revenge on Doink. That's the that's the that's, that's good. Ultimately, that's what this comes down to. Top baby yes. faces, top top baby faces, don't continually lose to the heels. Crush did, and that's why he wasn't a top baby face. 
Yeah. And then as the summer rolls along, um, you know, guys get turned baby face. Yeah. Uh, you know, certain heels and they're more over than uh, crush. So, yeah I, yeah, I never bought, you know, that's like a talking point on message boards. Oh, you know, this really like, you know, crush was never really. This, it's, I don't really know what his ceiling was as a baby face, but it wasn't like certainly as a top guy. It wasn't even as a number three baby face no. uh, to your point with the Jake and boss man comparisons. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a guy who was a top three baby face is the undertaker. Mm, and he gets indeed. his lone non pinfall submission victory at a mania. Uh, well, I guess the, the boneyard might have, did, did, was there a pin there? Or did he just like throw age? I forget. He buried him. I think, didn't he? Oh, the well, end? Yeah, yeah, he did. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, a, a non-pinfall, non-submission victory at a mania for Undertaker. This is the only one during the streak. Beats Giant Gonzalez by DQ due to an ether-soaked rag. Uh, you talk about <laughs> Memphis influence on this promotion. I've always thought they were probably protecting Gonzalez due to the possibility of a future Hogan program. More on yeah. that uh, at a later time. Dave Meltzer says, quote, Gonzalez will sell tickets, but not for long. Well... Mm, yeah, I, I, I could see where you would think that, but because I mean, you, you mentioned earlier there was a pop when you know Taker knocked him over, but um, yeah, a non-pinfall submission victory for the Undertaker at Mania. Yeah, when you when you um, as we talked about last time about the protection of Gonzalez and how well he was booked heading into this show, once you start chipping away at the Giants' credibility to give him you know little bits to other people. Mm, you know, the effectiveness starts to, to, to waver and that's where the tickets don't sell quite so easily at that point. The match was what you'd expect. Everybody will probably know what this is, but I'll say this. Even as a child, again, I have always loved Bill Alfonso getting fucking wrecked. <laughs> that choke slam. Where he just like yeah. yo-yos him up and down on the ground and then just murders him with this choke slam. And it's glorious. It's the best thing he ever did in wrestling. Yeah, now- <laughs> now we talk about Bill, well, Bill Alfonso, you know, I mean, you talk about choke slam. I mean, what about the one he took from nine one one in was the a ECW match? Yeah, you know that that was um, at Gangsta's Paradise. But we talk about babyfaces getting revenge, and it's kind of interesting because in the short term, Undertaker really never gets revenge against Giant Gonzalez. They, they continue the feud in promos and they talk about it, but. They do a detour with The Undertaker after Mania, like right before King of the Ring, where he goes on to feud with newcomer Mr. Hughes, also managed by Harvey Whippleman, uh, where they do the original urn-stealing angle the day before King of the Ring, as a matter of fact, is when it airs. Uh, What do you think about that, Taker and Mr. Hughes? I guess, again, they're thinking, well, we maybe are going to do Undertaker, or pardon me, Hogan-Gonzalez, so we can't have Undertaker beat Gonzalez, so here's a kind of a, a detour for Taker? Is, is that what this all is, you think? You think so, but by the time they shoot this angle, I'm pretty sure they know what's going on with Hogan at that point, considering the proximity yeah. to King of the Ring. So, well, it, it, well, it had been taped, obviously. I mean, that's yeah. what it airs, but still, you're right. You're right. Mr. Hughes is a huge curiosity to me in 1993 because, again, my, my exposure to wrestling at this point, it's like, I see him pop up. He's at King of the Ring. They show this big angle with The Undertaker that felt like a pretty heavy deal. And then when you actually like watch the TV play out, where they, they start off with him just squashing people. I don't know how much we're going to talk about Hughes elsewhere, so we'll probably get it all in here. I don't know if, you, if there's anything else <laughs> yeah. you want to say about Hughes post this, but like, 
he, he, he squashes people. They do the thing about all the managers are after him. Eventually, he shows up with Harvey Whippleman because yeah, I guess he was the best of the bunch. And then they do this angle with the Undertaker. Yeah. Um, and Hughes is just like, and then he like not long after he's gone. <laughs> like it's like I'm not sure. Um, I'm not sure how high hopes they had for him, but there are times when you think that they have high hopes, and there are times you think that like, for example, Mr. Hughes qualifies for the King of the Ring against Kamala, right? Mm-hmm. In a match where they completely protect Kamala, and Mr. Hughes, the badass hot newcomer with Harvey Whippleman, gets his ass kicked by Kamala. He wins by count out when Kamala chases Kim Shi, and then Kamala gets back in the ring and kicks the shit out of Mr. Hughes after the match as well. And then, like you know, week a week or two later, he's destroying the Undertaker with the urn. Again, just like we talked about last time, these weird like inconsistencies with like protecting a guy to a certain point or booking him in a certain way consistently. And that's an, that's why my curiosity is there with Mr. Hughes. It's like they decided they were going to push him hard as a heel. I mean, I don't know if we're going to say this at any other point. He beats Bret Hart on a house show in July. That's crazy. That, he that, beats that is Bret crazy. Hart. I mean, I know Jim Ross was excited because you know he was frothing about this. My God, the most penalized player in the history of the Big Eight Conference. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it is because you know the, the man. You know, it's like you know that was something they they did with you know Randy Savage when he came in, Bam Bam Bigelow when he mm-hmm. came. The, all the man. I, I think you know what kind of hurt was the the uh, pool of managers was so weak. I mean, the fact that you said Harvey Whippleman was the best of the lot is just a sad commentary on WWF managers. In 93. <laughs> I know, like, you know, Mr. Fuji cuts a promo saying so you can make him lots and lots of yen. You know, yeah, Slick, boy, son. <laughs> yeah, Slick said he wants to make him see the error of his ways. I mean, this was, like, kind of a sad situation. But, I mean, they, they, he's on TV a lot, Hughes. There were a lot of Mr. Hughes squash matches in the summer. Yeah. Or part in the spring, early summer. Of 93. And so, yeah, it's Undertaker Hughes. Um, you know, Undertaker, I can't remember if we talked about his interview regarding Somalia, his in-character interview that aired on television. <laughs> I know there was another one where he said, no hope with dope. Uh, this is on the April 26th law. <laughs> yes, the Undertaker in character said that uh, because there was some girl who won an essay contest about uh, saying no to drugs. Um Far funnier, I found, this was a note in The Observer, there was a house show where some quote-unquote smart fans were yelling Percy at Paul Bearer. (laughs) And Paul Bearer turned around and in his voice said, Percy's in the urn! (laughs) I found an amusing kind of uh, anecdote. Love it. Okay. Coming and going. We still have, God, there is a lot to talk about here. Uh, oh, yes. we're still we're still in the shadow of WrestleMania here. Luna, we talked about Mr. Hughes, a newcomer. Luna Vashon is in the feud with Sherry. She accompanied, I have that in quotes, Shawn Michaels at Mania. <laughs> the two were never really linked. I don't know if Shawn thought this was uh, you know, too ugly of a woman to be associated with, but like <laughs> she she sort of like straggles along after him. Like and five. Like she's like fifteen feet away. Sean doesn't even acknowledge that she's alive at any point. No, no, there's no like he doesn't go to her for advice. She just sort of like saunters out to be in his corner to sort of neutralize Sherry. I'm not Um, sure if he even looks at her. No, so I mean, he wanted no part of her. I I don't know if there was an idea. Do you think there was ever an idea? Obviously, they go in a different direction with Sean and who's in his winds up being in his corner. But do you think that was an idea they wanted to do Sean and Luna and maybe? 
Sean said no, or it almost looks like it with the way they dressed Luna. A little bit, but yeah, I mean that that was like I mean she never would be associated with Sean again after that match. But you know after the so they do a a, a lame countout finish in Sean and Tatanka, the opener, and afterwards Luna attacks Sherry at ringside. Then she reportedly attacks her again backstage. That was another thing they didn't show on the pay-per-view, but they would show the coming weeks on television. There was a segment on TV where, like, Luna, man, I don't know about... Her voice. Yeah, like, just this horrible narration of the whole Uh, thing, or it was hard to watch. I don't know. I don't... I know some people... I mean, much respect to Luna. I don't, I, don't, I don't really like this character. I don't really like when she speaks. No, it's like I, I understand that people can like the fact that she's committed to a character, but when I don't want to watch the character, it's so fucking annoying. Like, yes. I just can't. I can't get into yeah. it. So per part one, this is kind of similar to what I brought up with do- the two doinks. And, you know, I was like, well, was that like a way to counteract him getting cheered? Do we think they brought in Luna specifically because Sherry wasn't getting over as a babyface. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But as we've talked about before, babyface managers only work with a foil. This was it. And it seems to work better for Sherry. I'll say that. Yeah, and and so Luna and Sherry would feud. Um, There was a cat fight on the April 12th episode of Raw. That episode of Raw did a monster 3.4 rating, which Dave noted was the highest rating for a regular weekly uh, cable TV wrestling show in 20 months. Yeah, when we say cat fight, it's the clothes tearing, Sherry's in a bra, Luna gets her pants ripped off, Rob Bartlett takes some shots. Yes, yes, Rob Bartlett was still around at that point, but not <laughs> yeah. for long. Um, so yeah, and that feud's not over with. We'll talk about kind of how they, because yeah, Luna's not tied to Sean in any way. We'll kind of talk about, um, really, I, I guess we won't talk about the rest of the show, but um, they, they do some stuff where Sherry is with Tatanka, and then Luna goes with Bam. But they kind of become yeah. part of a Tatanka Bam Bam feud. Bam Bam Bigelow finds love and introduces Luna. I don't know how I felt about that. I'll be honest. With I you. didn't like that promo from back from Bigelow at all. Yeah. <laughs> it was terrible. I have a sensitive so, side. Oh fuck. <laughs> yeah, not the direction I would have gone. Um, speaking of uncomfortable, the smoking guns in their jeans. <laughs> you, you've hated their jeans for years, Kyle. Fucking Wrangler jeans? Come on, man. <laughs> Fuck, wear something like that. Uh, they have vignettes. It's it, it's a very stereotypical cowboy gimmick. Uh, they had come from the Florida Indies. They replaced the Nasty Boys on the babyface side of the tag division. The Nasties were suspended due to some behavior on a European tour, and they never returned. They weren't missed. Well, I mean, unfortunately, they weren't missed moving the WF, but they do want to stink up the tag division of WCW in 1993. Yeah, but I like what they did in 94. I It is so interesting. Like, the Nasties worked so much better in WCW than WWF. I agree, but I could, I'll never forgive them for taking the Hollywood Blonde spot. A very good point. Yes, a very good point. And what suckers they were for giving up their tag title shots to the Mega Maniacs at WrestleMania 9 because they never I mean, got one. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Uh, I mean, uh, yeah, the, 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 the guns are in. The guns are in. Their vignettes are very 1980s. Very 1980. Didn't they do something similar with like Billy Jack Haynes when he like they were originally oh going to bring God. him in in like '85? Remember, like Billy Jack was yeah. going to come in, but then he didn't come in. Him. He was like riding on a horse and shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Your thoughts on this? Your thoughts on the smoking guns? Um, as like a, a baby face tag team here. More mullets. 
Um, yeah. It's kind of, it's kind of, I don't hate them in the role. I mean, it's a very kind of skin deep act, really. There's not really a ton to it. I mean, they come out and they, they shoot the little guns and that's, that's all well and good. But I mean, they just, they feel like the cowboy, the babyface cowboy tag team has always felt like it's got like a real limit. I'm not talking about the Texas Outlaws or any great tag team. I'm talking about the WWF babyface you know, or yo, the young pistols. Like they just feel like okay, they're just like a low card act, and they'll never be anything more. I thought they were nerds. I was thirteen at the time. Smoking <laughs> guns were absolute fucking nerds. Would they have been better served in WCW? I was maybe going to bring this up later, but I'm going to. Well, like I said, the young pistols have already been there, so they'd already. Yeah, they, that's what I'm saying. Like, I, I don't know. Just because, well, well, we'll talk. The booking of the guns was kind of odd, too. Um, you know, I, again, maybe they just weren't intended to be a high ceiling act anyway, but it's just like, I don't know, like, it just feels like it's just like, eh, kind of a, a lame mid-card act. Again, they're replacing the Nasty Boys. Uh, Meltzer said he thought the blonde one of the guns, not Brian Knobs, quote, <laughs> has some potential. And my answer to that, Dave, would be, well, some would say Billy Gunn goes on to be the best pure athlete in WWF. Of course he's potential. <laughs> a tag, a tag that's still sticks in people's minds today 30 years later the blonde one is daddy ass and is still over somehow <laughs> yeah used to the one billy god yes, yeah. forget you um so yeah I, I don't know i don't know do you think I, it, they just kind of really didn't get over much um speaking of not getting over much the beverly brothers yeah funnily enough they're kind of comparable in in on opposite ends of the ledger because it's like the beverly's are like the team they stick in there to fill up the, the fill up the ranks fill up the numbers and the only way they're ever going to have success is if everybody else goes which is what happens with the smoking guns yes and it's funny i think when the beverly brothers came in um i asked you the question would they have been better served going to wcw yeah. <laughs> where they could have had more room to grow uh the beverly's never got over Towards the end, they're working with Little Louie against the Bushwhackers and Tiger Tiger Jackson near their end. They're doing singles jobs. It, it just never really panned out. At least, at least WCW is going to come calling five years later for some reason. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so much for the best work of Jim Duggan's WWF run. We talked about the Yokozuna feud. He never gets revenge there. It's just a house show. You know, he's just kind of there to put over Yokozuna after WrestleMania 9. Uh, Duggan also... It should be pointed out as we move forward into May, he has two good matches on Raw with Shawn Michaels. Yeah. Including he, a Lumberjack match. But Jim Duggan, a stalwart on the card, is gone after six years, and that's Jake Roberts' rule. Is he, is this... Because I, I, I'll admit, I didn't actually look into this. I should have. Was this Duggan's decision or theirs? I don't know. who. I, I mean, it just It's a curious of, one, isn't it? Like, why... Wait, like. Well, I think it was just part of like some house cleaning, you know, and you look at the guys who leave in 93, you know, Duggan was a guy who, you know, was kind of closely tied to Hogan, who's obviously on his way out. Mm -hmm. And it just seemed like, I don't know, he'd been around. I mean, while Duggan's doing good work, part of it is he's also losing for the first, like Duggan didn't do a lot of clean jobs. I mean, what could you really do? I mean, that's my theme with a lot of these guys who are going to talk about leaving and the Jake Roberts rule in general these guys had good six-year runs. What are you going to do with Jim Duggan if, if yeah. it's not having him lose? Like, it, it might be, like, interesting. I mean, he, he was motivated during this run. He might have been motivated because he knew he was leaving and he wanted people to still want him. But, um, you know, it's he, he doesn't leave, like, right after me because he still works the European tour in the summer. 
as like yeah. of course Hogan's surrogate, but um yeah, I mean, you know, what are you going to do with Jim Duggan in 93? Uh, he, he, he see that's the thing that's weird. If he'd have had this if he'd have said this in 92, I'd been all over it. But it's like you've given the time and energy to like do the big you know, promos with the family about bringing Duggan back for Yoko and you put so much energy before WrestleMania into a Yoko Duggan feud that doesn't play out on television. You're doing this, this stuff with him and Sean, which is good. They work well together. Basically because Sean can work well with anybody at this point. I don't know if there was a ton left to do with Duggan. It does feel like his time is coming up. It's just weird because usually when time is coming up, they don't spend a lot of time making the guys, you know, more prominently featured. Because, I mean, you know, they, they even... During this time, they have the the fucking the, the song and the video off the the god awful Jim Duggan song off the the album <laughs> the, the the Slam Jam album. I like to beat people up. <laughs> That's hacksaw Jim. Du- I, no one, no, it's 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 yeah. absolutely awful. And by the way, I didn't even realize this, Kyle. The Slam Jam song. Mm-hmm. In the UK, oh, no. in the UK top forty singles chart, which in the nineties was like. That every Sunday the chart comes out. Who's number one? It's a big deal. The Slam Jam song got to number four. I couldn't that fucking is, believe it when I saw that. Whitney that is Hu- shocking. It's Whitney Houston, Michael Jackson, Charles and Eddie for their, their run with fun, and oh the WWE and the WWF superstars ahead of like Nirvana and like all these like U two and all these fucking. It's like the WWF song is. Number four. Couldn't believe it. I, I texted you during uh, or shortly after Money in the Bank 2023 uh, took place. I said, I'll tell you what, there's not many things that you guys love in the UK more than the World Wrestling Federation and its brand of entertainment. <laughs> uh, we just we just love pro wrestling, man. I guess so. But yeah, so it's over for, I mean, this guy, I mean, to your point, it's odd that after you know, how many years was Duggan just cool? I mean, he he didn't do anything in like 90, 91, 92. And it's, yeah, it is weird that they heat him up a little bit, 90, far more compared to previous year. And then he's just, he's just gone. But it yeah. is the Jake, and Jake Roberts rule, of course, for those new to the program. Um, that is just kind of my theory that, you know, for uh, up until like the modern era, it was very hard to stay in this company for more than six years. Cause a guy like Jake Roberts, Jim Duggan, I mean, these were great runs, no matter what you think about like their work or that they weren't the same guy that they were in the territories, Jim Duggan and Jake, both like 95% of people in the history of this business would kill for the run that Jake Roberts and Jim Duggan had in the WWF yep. in this era. And you guys like that could not stay relevant really for more than six years. So Jim Duggan is gone despite uh, some inspired work. Uh, not inspired was the Kamala babyface turn. And uh, <laughs> he's out of there. Slick was a dread. You talk about babyface managers that weren't doing nothing, man. I mean, the whole thing where Slick was trying to get the crowd fired up to, you know, get Kamala to pin guys the right way. Oh, I yeah. Felt, I felt bad for Kamala, like the person, James <laughs> Harris, that he was doing this. I did like when he tried to pin Kim Shi on the floor. <laughs> In the uh, after, after that run in that we mentioned in the Mr. Hughes match, didn't understand. Yeah, this isn't this isn't this. I mean, Kamala's it's a bit of fun baby face. It, it, this is always gonna have a limited shelf life, and this was a good firing. Nothing against the man, but uh, Typhoon was nothing without Earthquake, a better firing. Yes, and uh, some would say he tripped his way right into WCW <laughs> later in the year, <laughs> stumbled right into it. 
Yes. So, um, yeah, we, I mean, so both natural disasters are now gone. Um, remember last, and, and you know, just the previous year, I mean, they were like the top heel team for a little bit and then they were the, they were the tag team champions. Babyface team as well. Yeah. And yeah. now they're both gone. Well, around that same time, Papa Shango was being pushed as the WF's top singles heel. Remember that? We shit all over it in our 92 series. Well, he's gone. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, Papa. Uh, still howling at Bret Hart, no selling that curse post SummerSlam 92. But man, it, it is crazy to think. Now, Charles uh, Wright it would stick around, obviously, in many incarnations. They try, and then he finally found success as the Godfather. But man, it's crazy how hard they push Shango post WrestleMania 8. Here we are post WrestleMania 9 a year later, and he's just gone. One of the most incredible falls from grace during this era of the WWF. Has there been a guy who got pushed so hard to the point of almost being like the central heel when they were doing that, the, yeah, the, the ridiculous curse nonsense with, with the warrior that we talked about previously. And within like months, he's just got nothing going on. Nobody's selling for him anymore in terms of the, the curse Nobody, nobody gives a shit. He's doing clean jobs to Duggan, you know. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I think once that he's the angle, first one, he's the first one eliminated in the Rumble. That's not yeah, a good sign. Yeah, once the Warrior angle bombs and Pat, and you know, we talked about how Patterson apparently really hated that angle yeah. and and the feud. I think he he was just done at that point because yeah. you're right. I mean, it's, I mean, it was it was months later that he was all done and buried and. And uh, Brett beats him on television, by the way. So, you know, no selling the curse once again. Uh, we need a new heel. And uh, Brian Clark is in with a very lame name, Adam Baum. I remember, I, I know Paul Bearer worked as a play on words. But I remember thinking at the time, Adam Baum. Stupid. <laughs> and what's, Stupid what, what's bad is, like, I think the character, like, the look of the character had some potential. Absolutely. Uh, Johnny Polo, a new heel manager's in, of course, uh, the future Raven, uh, Scott Levy. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he kind of, he's just getting squashed. It's just like your standard new heel gets brought in, you know, beats jobbers on TV. Um, but, this... yeah, Adam Bob is a terrible Adam Bomb. This feels like a fuck-up, doesn't it? Like, Clark, Brian Clark is not great, but he's got a pretty great look here. Like, his his physique is fucking great. He's got a good tan. The hair, he looks, his, his costume is pretty cool. And this name just locks him in lower card hell forever. Like, even, yeah. even, even Savage is, like, openly mocking the name, like, during his squash matches. Like, he's called Adam Bomb, is he? <laughs> like, like, right. What announcer says, oh, is that his real name? I think it's, it's either Savage or Heenan. Oh, no, uh, Savage or Lawler. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I, I thought. Yeah. For some reason, Adam Bomb. I mean, he he kind of like has a cool entrance too, like how it has yep. like the explosion on the screen and like Johnny Polo introducing him at first. But yeah, the, the name is was a killer. Really kneecapped him. Uh, he doesn't do much. Uh, speaking of not doing much on the babyface side. Oh. Oh my Friar God. Ferguson, Mike Shaw, the former Norman the Lunatic. Uh, he was originally going to be a heel called the Mad Monk. But that was changed due to fear of heat from religious groups. And Friar Ferguson, if I can quote you, Liam, is absolutely fucking shambolic. 
idiots. That run in he does with ba- after Bam Bam Bigelow's uh, squash match is terrible. He's around for two weeks. I, I will, uh, for those who don't know, Friar Ferguson, the name, was Rob Bartlett's idea. I don't know if anybody, if, how many people know that. It was his contribution because they, they were trying to come up with a new name for him on the fly. Um, this is like, th- you know, this is in April. This is like the big hot new character they try and push right after WrestleMania. <laughs> like, and, and Vince is just laughing, slapping his knee when like he lifts the, the, the monk outfit to show his knees. And he's like, his knees. Yeah, hilarious. Fucking Vince awesome. like, Aha! And it's just like, oh, my God. He likes to have fun. Yeah, he yes, he likes to have fun. Now this bombs, uh, <laughs> not atom bomb. It just bombs. And so Dave notes that uh, Mike Shaw will be repackaged as quote <laughs> Sebastian Booger playing a gargoyle. Yeah. So we get after, after the kind of the, the bad taste of this goes away. Sebastian, you know, Bastion Booger comes in in like June, and he fucking jobs to Virgil. How about that WWF magazine? Yeah, so yeah, there you go. Virgil's racking up the wins. Virgil gets the big win over the debuting Bastion Booger. Yes, yeah, so, yeah, that, that's not exactly. I mean, we talk about Adam Bomb's name liberating him. I want a job to Virgil right out of the gate. That'll fucking <laughs> kill your career. Um, and, and apparently that may have had. I I did. I kept this out of your notes because I can't wait to hear your reaction. This was a note in the Observer. Okay, Bastion, not Sebastian, but Bastion Booger. Missed an indie date in Livonia, Michigan, when his car broke down and he ended up waiting on the side of the road for hours for someone to help. Dave surmises <laughs> that a 400 pound man with no eyebrows and a shaved head might not be a look that lends itself to people stopping to help. <laughs> Imagine driving down the highway and there is Sebastian Booger. <laughs> His eyebrows are like they've like trimmed them to so basically looks like he's got a couple of Hitler mustaches above his eyes. <laughs> like yes. it's just a horrible look. No, I can't oh imagine I'd be I'm not gonna be able to unsee that. Uh, <laughs> uh, Dave thought uh, jobber Scott Taylor showed a lot of potential taking quote hot bumps on the <laughs> May 17th Raw. We'll have more on that May 17th Raw later yeah. on. Good eye there from Dave. Yeah, uh, that's of course the future Scotty Too Hotty. Uh, Bonnie Blackstone. Wade Keller called the WWF's answer to Tipper Gore question mark. <laughs> okay. Uh, the vice president, the uh, second lady at the time, Al Gore's wife. Uh, she passed her audition with the WWF and uh, would be doing an interview segment called Face to Face plus some event centers. She would do stand up interviews. And there was one with Lex Luger, which was so bad. Oh, it's terrible. Miss this did not last long. Um, I don't know if it was, you know, I don't know if you necessarily blame her, but it was bad. She's a very, um, you know, your local news anchor delivery, and her hair is just enormous. And she interviews a few people, but again, she just looks like, well, well fucking some of these rest- some of these personalities need to go to a, like a hairdresser from this fucking decade. It's just getting, it's just getting laughable. She's there interviewing Lex with his little feathered mullets. <laughs> Like, she's like putting over like how, you know, yes, you are an incredible physical specimen. We're like no emotion whatsoever. Yeah, oh, it, it, it was it, it was so bad. Um, and of course, she was, um, you know, uh, married to Joe Petticino, who had the so she had like an entry mm-hmm. into in wrestling already. It was, it was not like she didn't have a rest. She, so she had a wrestling background. But 
yeah, just uh, they're trying something new that didn't work. Interview, interviews Brett prior to King of the Ring. That's a little bit better, but you know, when you know, it's, it's not great. Yeah. All right. Let's uh, end, I guess, part two a on a on a funny note here. Okay. <laughs> I have this section called "Love Is in the Air." Uh, <laughs> observer, <laughs> it'll come together, everybody. Just listen. Uh, we got <laughs> two witty anecdotes here. Uh, observer and torch reader Paul Soznowski was the featured guy on Raw on April 26, asking his girlfriend to marry him in a bit that ran through the entire show. Dave was just relieved that the girl said yes. Uh, (laughs) Paul set up the deal through Bruce Pritchard and got to meet Vince McMahon. Paul's reaction to meeting McMahon, quote, he wasn't anything like I expected, but that's what I expected. <laughs> Dave thinks that will be attributed to Yogi Berra in a few years from now. Oh, uh, I hope that. <laughs> I, that's, I'll tell you what, man. I would if I if I was an observer and torch reader, meaning that I know what's going on with the people in this company. I would not fucking trust them with my proposal. No. I would expect fucking Bash and Booga to come out and start fucking dribbling all over me or something like that. But but yeah, that was the big thing they had. I mean, just kind of like to add to Raw's wackiness, we had a wedding of an actual wedding proposal. So love was in the air there on the uh, April twenty-sixth. <laughs> oh, oh, what and, a fantastic play on words, Scott! I didn't even get that. Oh, you did it! I was I so proud this. of this headline of it all. And love was well, it wasn't love, <laughs> but literally in the air uh, on a different front. So we talk about that promotion. Involved uh, that had some success over in Europe involving Warrior and Hercules. Um, it turned out that it wasn't that successful because the promoter got freaking ripped off. But um, anyway, on on the plane back from Europe, Hercules got into an incident <laughs> during some turbulence where, and I cannot believe I'm saying these words, he fell out of the bathroom and accidentally groped two women. <laughs> Who among us has not accidentally fallen out of an airplane (laughs) bathroom and accidentally groped two women? I I feel that could only happen to a pro wrestler, it seems. (laughs) I believe believe Hercules is what they call a hopeless romantic. Yes, well, anyway, this prompted the airplane's crew to call security because a 265-pound wrestler was, uh, quote, on the rampage. But luckily, Herc apologized. When they got to the airport, the whole thing was smoothed over. <laughs> Between this and the doink Matt, uh, Steve Kern, uh, Matt Bourne confusion, another great wrestler excuse here. I accidentally fell out the bathroom when I grabbed both of you. I was just holding on to your, uh, your boobs to, to not fall yeah. down, I suppose. you know, yeah. Super invader, indeed. Yeah, super. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess, uh, well, you can always be you know, sold as a slave to Ted DiBiase, I guess it could be worse. What a fine angle that was. Okay. I think we should probably stop here. Um, man, we only made it through one month. <laughs> we did, but man, we got a lot of good stuff coming. Cause part two B we're talking about the best episode of raw from the first six months of this year, as well as King of the ring. Yes. And there is a lot to talk about because Hulkamania will die. Well, at least for eight and a half years, but it did dig its own grave, Liam. Uh, we'll be talking about that, of course, in part 2B as well. Yes, I cannot wait to talk about the May 17th Raw, where really I think um, the sh- the show was put on the map for good, what it could be. They, they really realized it. Uh, more title changes to talk about. The plight of Bret Hart 
the plight of Hulk Hogan and yes, King of the Ring 1993. It will all be in part 2B. Uh, hopefully you all enjoyed part 2A. Uh, and uh, is there any closing remarks you have, Mr. O'Rourke? No, I don't think so. I think that, you know, we've done a pretty great job summarizing everything here. Hulk Hogan, obviously, the topic of discussion for, for much of the first bit here is we talk about his illustrious championship victory. And, of course, part 2B, we'll be talking about his title reign or lack thereof. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, it, it, does, it, it turns out, like we alluded to earlier, that uh, that spark never really did catch with Hogan getting the title back. Uh, certainly his fifth run with the title was uh, nowhere near the first or the second or the third <laughs> and the fourth was kind of short. So whatever, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's downhill for old Terry and, uh, we'll hit that in part two B, but until then, Liam, uh, it's been real. Uh, and, uh, I'll talk to you then, man. Absolutely. Listeners. Thank you very much. We will be speaking again real soon. Part two B of our series. Look at the DF in 1993. Kyle Ross. Thank you so much for joining me and folks. We will talk to you again soon. I got my two by four. I got the American flag. I start going.